We're in Matthew 28. I'll be reading the first 10 verses of one of the great resurrection accounts. By the way, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles around the room. We'd love for you to t- take one, and uh, we'd be glad for you to take that. It'll be yours. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. In our passage, there are two great lines of evidence for the resurrection that are talked about, that are assumed, both the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances of Jesus. First of all, the empty tomb. Basically, the tomb is empty. It's empty uh, indefinitely after. It's empty forever after that. And so what explains that? What happened to the body of Jesus? You have two basic choices. Either his friends and followers took him or his enemies and opponents took the body. If his followers took the body, then that would assume that these defeated, discouraged, uh, fear-filled disciples overcame a Roman guard, stole the body, and then told the world that he had risen from the dead, and they lived the rest of their lives for what they knew was a lie. Many of them gave their lives for it. Is that credible? Hardly. Did his enemies take the body, move it somehow? Well, if so, as soon as the disciples on the third day began telling everybody that Jesus had risen from the dead, all they had to do was go and get the body that they had moved, parade it up and down the main street of Jerusalem, and kill out this Christianity in a heartbeat. That's not credible either. There is no good explanation for the empty tomb, the continuing empty tomb, except that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and his body wasn't there. The empty tomb. But secondly, our passage makes some note of the fact that people see Jesus. In fact, three times in our, in our short passage, there's reference to the eyewitness appearances of Jesus. The angel tells the, the women, go tell the, the disciples, go to Galilee, there they will see him, see him face to face. Then Jesus interrupts the women headed there, and they see him right then and there. And then he tells the women, you go tell my brothers, meet me in Galilee, there they will see me. They will see the eyewitness appearances of Jesus. Now, for 40 days, Jesus spent time with his disciples, and hundreds of people 
saw him, and their lives were never the same again. You know, our entire court system is based largely on eyewitness testimony, eyewitness evidence. And there were hundreds of people in that world at that time where the disciples were saying, we have seen Jesus alive from the dead. You know, it's interesting that in the first century at the time of Christ, because of the great longings of the Jewish people, there were a number of people claiming to be Israel's Messiah, the Savior of the people. We're going to overthrow Rome. Uh, dozens and dozens. Every single time someone was claiming to be the Messiah, whenever the leader would die or be killed, this is what ha would happen. The leader, the, the, the followers would disperse, never to be heard from again. And the movement would die out quickly. Except on one occasion when Jesus died. The movement began to spread and spread throughout the entire Roman Empire, and it took over the empire. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is still spreading today. Why was there such a difference? Because the leader of that movement died, and he didn't stay dead. Because the grave couldn't hold him. It just couldn't hold him. And so people saw him with their own eyes. And we're never the same again. These are two classic uh, lines of evidence, and books and books are written on them. The tomb of Jesus was empty, and there's no good explanation. And then many, many people saw him with their own eyes and were completely changed. Now, those are the classic evidences in our passage. But for me, the reason, perhaps the main reason for me, I need the historical evidences, but above that, I cannot get over the person of Jesus. I read the Gospels. I read the New Testament. And Jesus is unlike anybody else in history that we know of. Anybody else in history. The life that he lived, his teachings, which were uh, almost otherworldly, his, his miracles that he took, his courage, his fearlessness, his tenderness, his fierceness, his humility, his compassion. I mean, there's no one like Jesus. As somebody put it, it would take a Jesus to invent a Jesus. Now, if Jesus is not who he says he was, uh, the Lord God who came to this planet as a man to die on our cross, if he was not that, then what is your option? The only tenable option at all is that he was a great religious teacher. And so that is the default position to intellects of our day and scholars. Well, he must have been a great religious leader. But the problem with that is that really doesn't work. Because Jesus made claims that only God would make. He made claims like this. I can forgive your sins. Not when you sin against me, but when you sin against each other, I forgive your sins. I am the judge of the living and the dead. If you have seen me, you have seen God the Father. I mean, he talks in a way that nobody ever talks, except from time to time. There might be somebody in our day that's, that goes around saying, I'm Jesus or I am God. And what do we think about that person? We know that there's something deeply disturbed mentally, that they are as crazy as a bed bug and not a sane person. But with Jesus, is that really an option, that he was completely insane? No, it is not. And that is your only other option. Jesus made claims that no other great religious teacher made 
he made claims to be none other than God who came in the flesh. I am a follower of Jesus largely because I cannot get over the person of Jesus. About a couple of weeks ago, Gail and I saw a, an unusual movie, very intense movie. It doesn't have a lot of play, uh, even though it is directed by Martin Scorsese, the famous director, some circles infamous director. For 20 years, he has had in his heart to make a movie based on a novel written by a Japanese Christian writer, Shasuka Endo. But he couldn't get funding, which surprises me. Really, Martin Scorsese couldn't get funding for this. But apparently folks thought it wouldn't sell, and it's not selling. The movie stars Leon Neeson and Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield was the man who played in Hacksaw Ridge, that powerful movie. The movie Silence, based on the novel, is based on a true story of actual events that happened in the 1500s and the 1600s when Jesuit missionaries started going to Japan, reaching tons of people. But there came a backlash from the powerful leaders in Japan, and some of the worst persecution and worst martyrdom in history occurred with those Jesuit missionaries. The movie is intense. Well, here's the point of my story. The lead actor is Andrew Garfield, who's becoming a star. Andrew Garfield has publicly stated that he considered himself an atheist. But when he began making this movie, he studies with a Jesuit priest, I think it was about a year, and he presses in to Jesus Christ and the Gospels. And at the end of that period, he, say, he has said publicly, I fell in love with Jesus. Now, that's interesting. And, and I debated internally somewhat, should I share that story? Because uh, in two weeks, he might do something horrible, and you might think, well, I thought our pastor said he was a Christian. <laughs> well, I haven't said that, because he hasn't said that. He has not said, I am now a Christian. What he has said was that he studied with his Jesuit priest about Jesus, and he said, quote, I fell in love with Jesus. And maybe he's on the way. Maybe he's there. I don't know. But I fell in love with Jesus. I get that. When you get Give an honest look at the person of Jesus. I cannot get over him. I've got a challenge for you. Read through the Gospels. Do it a chapter a day. Start with Matthew 1. Go through Matthew, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It'll take you about three months, maybe 10 minutes a day. Read through the Gospels and ask God to reveal Jesus to you. I cannot get over Jesus. And that is one of, for me, the main reasons that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, the passage here before us, it has all the earmarks of, of, of authenticity. You know, the very first verse, <clears throat> the very first verse says this. Now, after the Sabbath, that would be uh, Friday evening, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. After the Sabbath on Saturday sundown, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, not quite uh, sunrise on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, fairy tales down through history are just general. You know, once upon a time in a faraway land, but historical documents have specificity, and the Gospels are filled with specificity. These people at this time, at, at, at this place, 
And, and, and the gospel writers uh, use that kind of language. Now, two women are the first disciples to go to the tomb to check on things. Now, they're actually not going to check on the resurrected Christ. They are going to anoint his body, his dead corpse, with spices because Friday afternoon when they took him down from the cross, they did not have time to anoint the body with, with, with spices, which was custom. So they're going back Saturday morning. They're going back devastated. They're going back completely heartbroken. Their Savior, their leader is dead, and they are crestfallen. And we read that they go back to the tomb Sunday morning, and then something happens. By the way, this is another note of authenticity, that the first eyewitnesses to the tomb were women. Because in first century Jewish society, it was so patriarchal, so man-centered, that young girls were not allowed to have formal education. Women couldn't do things uh, that men could do. They could not inherit things. They could not be witnesses in a court of law. And so, for the gospel writers to have women be the first eyewitnesses to give testimony that Jesus rose from the dead, no one inventing a story like this would put women there. The only reason that there would be women as the first eyewitnesses is because that's what God did. He had women go first, and they record it. In fact, in the 100s, the second century, there was a Roman philosopher by the name of Celsus, C-E-L-S-U-S. Celsus wrote against Christianity, trying to uh, convince people it wasn't true. One of his main arguments was right here. He said, you just look at the gospel accounts, and the first witnesses were women. And everybody knows you can't trust women. And he, he considered that an evidence it can't be true. Now, in that day, maybe that was evidence it can't be true. But today, it's just the opposite. Nobody inventing these stories would have women as the first evidence. That the only reason they did it was because it was true. It's a mark of authenticity. And by the way, Jesus spent his whole ministry uh, breaking through cultural barriers, gender barriers, ethnic barriers. He just didn't pay attention to those things, including he had women disciples, and he had those women be the first to the tomb as his legal eyewitnesses. Uh, an another movie that Gail and I recently saw, this is kind of movie message, uh, the movie Hidden Figures. Have some of you seen that movie? It's a superb movie, again, based on a true story. It's three black women, brilliant who play a key role of NASA in the early days of NASA, just the 1960s and just those first years when NASA was not based not in Houston, but in Langley, Virginia. And a very segregated society, it just kind of broke, you know, just shattered stereotypes for these three women, black women, to play key roles. Well, that was Jesus. He didn't care about the cultural barriers and the prejudices of his day. He treated women unfailingly with respect, dignity, no condescension or patronizing. So the first witnesses at the tomb were women. Now consider one of those women was Mary Magdalene. That'd be a, another mark uh, if you're making this account up because she had been a prostitute, as the Gospels tell us. I mean, can you think about Mary Magdalene who, who lived her life, had to be covered over with guilt and shame in that Jewish society, Pharisees about pointing fingers at her, rejecting her. She would be ostracized, ridden with scandal. And Jesus chooses her as not only one of his followers, but, but the first witness, one of the first witnesses at the tomb. You know, Mary Magdalene 
was a person covered over with guilt and shame who encountered complete and free forgiveness in Jesus, ambushed by grace. Can you imagine what that felt like, the freedom and the joy that that felt like to her? And some of you came this Easter service, and you too have lived a life covered over with guilt and shame. I know humans. And you think that, okay, Jesus may be able to forgive, you know, guys like that pastor up there and some of the others, but, but my sins and my failures have been too great and too many. I have messed up too badly. I am beyond his forgiveness. Friend, tonight I want to tell you that that is a lie from Satan, that God's grace is greater than your sin, no matter how great it is. His grace is bigger that on the cross, he took your sins. He died for them. He paid them because he's God. He can pay for all of our sins, much less all of yours. God's grace can ambush you also, just like with Mary Magdalene. The women arrive at the tomb. As I reminded you earlier, crestfallen and, and, and completely undone. And two big things happen about the time they arrive, maybe just before. Verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake, that's one, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, that's two, and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. You're not going to imagine that, that angel pushing back that huge stone and sitting on it like a champion. Now, one of the highlights, I think the main highlight, if you get a chance to go to the Holy Land and visit the places where Jesus walked, is to go to the tomb, the garden tomb where Jesus may well have been buried. We don't know for sure that was the spot, but if it wasn't that one, it was certainly something very much like it, very close by. But there are some very good lines of evidence that that was the actual tomb. Now, if you go there, uh, you will have to duck, uh, unless you're really short. Uh, I, I, I kind of duck about like this to walk in that doorway, and then you're in kind of a, a small little cave area, maybe a little bit bigger than that drum set, and there are two places for two bodies in kind of an interior chamber. And that stone would be about this high to cover the hole. It would be about six inches thick. And it would be about this, this wide. It would weigh so much. And that angel could come and just roll it away. He did not roll it away to let Jesus out, but to let the women in to see the tomb was empty. Jesus didn't need somebody to move that tomb. The grave couldn't hold him. But the angel moves the tomb so that the women can go in there and see for themselves Jesus isn't there. He's risen. He's alive from the dead. There's a group of Roman guards there because the religious leaders of Israel knew that Jesus was saying, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be executed, and on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. And so they, they go to Pilate and say, look, that, that imposter said this is going to happen, so you've got to put a guard so his, his disciples don't come in and steal the body. So there's a Roman guard there, tough, hardened, seasoned soldiers. Can you imagine those guards when the earthquake happened, getting their attention, and then this dazzling white angel just comes down and moves that to Can you imagine their eyes? Well, verse 4 says that the guard trembled. They were scared to death. Just what's going on? 
the angel, ignoring the, the guard, speaks to the two women, the two Marys. And in verse 7, or verse 5, says to them, do not be afraid. The first thing right off the bat, which is so like God all through the Bible, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Anytime an angel or God says to somebody, do not be afraid, you can bet that they're scared to death. And they really need the comfort, the assurance, don't be afraid. And that's the first thing that the angel says, do not be afraid. And then he goes on, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Now, that was the bombshell news. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The disciples never got that, none of them, and they weren't expecting it. He's risen, just as he said, come see the place where he lay, and probably with hearts pounding, those women duck, and they go in there, and he's not there. And it, the realization that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead is still alive begins to seek into them. He's not here. I've had the opportunity to make a number of trips to Israel. I'll be going again next February. And the highlight is going to that garden tomb. Now, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to run a marathon. First one I've run in 21 years. Three of our kids and I are going to run the Avenue of the Giants. The Avenue of the Giants in Northern California means the giant redwood trees. Now, from my years on the West Coast, I love the redwoods. If you've ever seen them, they're just so spectacular. But there's so much in nature that I love seeing. The, the uh, waterfalls in Oregon, the forest trails, the, the mountains, the oceans, you know, just some incredible places to see in, uh, on this planet. But when I have had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem, to the garden tomb, and go in there, there is no place I've ever been to be compared to it. This is what usually happens. There's a lot of people around the garden tomb warning in, and they, they will have us go in, maybe four or five or six people at a time, and maybe spend a minute there trying to, to take it in as quickly as we can, and then we'll all duck and come out. And, and sometimes between tour groups going in there, I will go back by myself and try to savor what happened here. That one day in history, the God who created the universe, came to this planet to become a man so that he could die on a cross and bear our sin. And he was really dead. And they took that, that dead, limp body and carried it to a tomb. If it's not that one, it was one like that one. And they, they put that tomb there, and then they rolled the stone and covered it up. And there he lay for three days. And then on the third day, Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead shattered the grave. And that's where it happened. And for me, there is no place like it to walk in there and to be there. For those two women, I cannot imagine what it must have been like that first Easter Sunday morning. So the angel tells the women in verse 7, go quickly, tell his disciples. By the way, all the male disciples were conspicuous by their absence. Maybe too intimidated because it wasn't safe to be a Christ follower then. Maybe too discouraged and distraught. Probably both. He says, go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. 
And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. That's the place where Jesus spent most of his ministry, where Nazareth was, where Capernaum was. Go to, go, go to meet him in Galilee. There you will see him. You will see him face to face. And they would see him as later in the passage we read, as the other gospel accounts tell us, over a 40-day period. So the women take off running. People didn't run in those days. People, they take off running to tell his disciples. Then Jesus shows up, surprise of surprises, as if he couldn't wait for them to see him. And in verse 8, or verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, probably shalom. And they came up. Can you imagine what's going on in their hearts? They came up, recognizing it's Jesus, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Prostrate at his feet. They worship him. You know, we don't worship great teachers. You only worship God. You don't worship great men. You only worship God. In the book of Acts, there's a story with the apostle Paul who does some incredible miracles, and he does some healing miracles there, and and the people are so taken by this that they think, man, this is one of our gods, and they go and start worshiping Paul, and he's horrified by it, and, you know, don't worship me. I'm a man just like you. You only worship God. Whenever in the Scriptures somebody makes a mistake and worships an angel or a man, they always reject that worship, but not Jesus. Worship on, worship on, because he is no mere man. He is the God-man. A little bit later in that same passage, verse 16 and 17, they meet in Galilee. And behold, Jesus met them. Now that's not it. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And he receives their worship. Can you imagine people worshiping a Plato or an Aristotle? Can you imagine them uh, worshiping a great professor at Harvard or Yale or something? How ludicrous. But Jesus Christ could with all humility and grace receive their worship because he is none other than God incarnate, God in the flesh. They worship him. Back to the passage when Jesus, the women lay hold of him and worship him, he speaks to them again about eyewitness appearance. Verse 10, our final passage, do not be afraid, repeating the words of the angel. They still got fear in their hearts. In fact, they, they left running with the Bible says, fear and great joy, this mixture that at times can come into our hearts. And he says to them right off, don't be afraid. If I am here, you don't have to have fear in your life. Now, now church, that applies to you and me just as much. In fact, this whole chapter ends with Jesus declaring to the disciples and to all disciples for all time, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I will always be with you if you're a Christ follower. You can never be apart from Jesus. He's right there with you. Now, my little granddaughter, one of them, was really scared of dogs. But if we pick her up, all that fear just dissipates. Know that Jesus Christ is right there beside you, holding you. And let your fear dissipate. Now, I'm talking about whatever you're most fear afraid of right now. We all have fears. It's part of human life to wrestle with fear. What's your biggest fear right now? Give it to Jesus. Hear the words of Jesus to you this Easter weekend. Do not be afraid.
Because Jesus Christ triumphed over death. Tell my disciples, do not be afraid. Go and tell my disciples, my brothers, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. They will see me with their own eyes. They'll be completely transformed for the rest of their lives. Nothing like them. Friends, this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. That is the good news. It was the great news. He's not here. He's no longer in this tomb. He's risen. Go see him. Go see him. The Bible does not have religion. The Bible does not offer us churchianity. The Bible does not offer us work hard to earn this. The Bible offers us good news. God came to this planet, became a man so that he could die on the cross. And when he died on that cross, that Friday morning, outside of Jerusalem, God took all of your sins, every last one of them, all of the sins of Mary Magdalene, all the folks there down through history. He placed them on Jesus, and because Jesus is God, he could pay for every single one of them and offer you and me the gift of forgiveness. That's the gospel. It's grace. It's a free gift. What do you do with a free gift? How do you receive that? How do you become a, a Christ follower? Well, if later this week someone gives you a free gift, what will you do? Well, this is what you'll do. You'll stick your hands out and receive it and say thank you. That's exactly how you become a Christ follower. There is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Just open your hands and say thank you. Like a beggar receiving a free gift. Nothing you're bringing to the table. Jesus Christ did it all. And he offers you life and freedom forever. Now, friends, that's good news. That is too good to pass up. Now, picture this. When it comes to Mary Magdalene's, all of her sins being forgiven, all of your sins being forgiven. Some of you especially who feel like, man, my sins have been so many. I just don't know if that could, that could work. Picture it as a, as a bathtub filled with water, dirty water. And it's just dirty. No way you're getting in there. But you pull the plug and all the dirty water goes down that drain. And just in my little, little picture, say that all the stain gets completely washed away also, and it's sparkling clean. Now, friends, that's what Jesus did with all of your sins. He is the drain plug, and all of your sins, when you put your trust in Him, wash down that drain, and you're left sparkling clean forever. Jesus is the drain plug for our guilt. He's not only the solution to all of our fears, including our biggest fears today, but He is the solution to our guilt and sin and shame. But you've got a decision to make, don't you? Do you receive Jesus? Will you receive Jesus or not? Now, some of you have done that, but others of you have never done that. You thought it was about being religious or, or working hard or something like that. It is not. It's a free gift, and now you know that. And this would be the time for your whole destiny to change by in your heart, just breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, thank you for the gift of life. I receive it now. Now, many of us have done that, but some of us who have done that, our heart has grown cold and we've grown distant. Maybe we've gotten angry at God because life is so hard. Friend, I want to say to you, your father still loves you incredibly. And it is time for you to come home to your Father.
in heaven. And you can do that tonight. You can do that tonight. You know, for me, I have made a decision that I will follow Jesus Christ the rest of my life because of his great love for me and because he died for my sins, because he's the the Lord of glory, risen from the dead. That is the easiest decision to make. I will give my entire life to him. And you must understand, particularly this Easter weekend, that the only death is living without Jesus. And the only real life is living within him, fully surrendered to follow him wherever. Do that if you've never done that before. Please stand with me. Friend, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to put two prayers up on the screens. The first one is for those of you who are not sure where you stand with God. Have I ever really trusted Christ as my Savior or have I just had a dose of religion and churchianity? Have I just gone to church a few times because somebody wanted me to? Well, for you, here's the prayer. Jesus, thank you so much that you died on a cross for my sin, that you rose again. I now trust you as my Savior. Thank you so much for the gift of life and forgiveness. That's for you. Now, for the rest of us who have done that, uh, here's a prayer for us. And Jesus, because of your great love for me, because you died for me, I hereby give you all my life. From this day forward, Lord, I choose to follow you with all my heart. Amen. And we can either, if we're already there, we can reaffirm that, or, or if your heart has grown cold, it is time for you to come home. So if you would bow and pray with me now, I'm going to read through both prayers, whatever applies to you. Just breathe a prayer and say, yes, Lord, or, or, or say the words as I say them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you died on a cross for my sin, that you rose again. I now trust you as my Savior. Thank you so much for the gift of life and forgiveness. And Jesus, the second prayer, because of your great love for me, because you died for me, I hereby give you all my life. From this day forward, Lord, I choose to follow you with all my heart. Amen.